With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. With the third pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Quinnen Williams. Nose tackle, Alabama. Now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. I'm joined by frequent guest and friend of the pod, Brian Bassett, formerly ran the Jets blog. We are going to give some, we'll call it the quiet before the storm. Next week, about next week, training camp is back, and then it's just a nonstop sprint up through the Super Bowl of chaos, hot takes, overreactions, underreactions. Uh, the insanity begins. It's been what feels like an endless offseason. Obviously, a lot has happened, so uh, we're just going to uh, chop it up about that. Uh, as a reminder, subscribe, rate, review to this podcast on iTunes, also available on Spotify, Google Play, published on turnonthejets.com. You could always follow yours truly on Twitter at jcaparoso. Brian. Fresh back from Hawaii. How you doing? You're relaxed, refreshed. How you feeling? I'm good. I'm tan. Um, I'm relaxed. I I spent yeah two well not a week in my in Miami in in Maui and then uh, went and visited a cousin in San Francisco on the way out. And I have a brother in Colorado, and we saw him and his family on the way back. And when you have little children, um, you know a six hour time difference across a quarter of the planet. Uh, doing that all in one day is not <laughs> not advisable. So we so that's why we broke it up and we made it a two week trip. And uh, I, I was saying like it's I have not taken a two week vacation in I can't even remember how long. It was probably I was probably unemployed the last time I took a two week vacation, uh, and it was amazing. It was so good because I always feel like if, when I take a one week break, it's enough time. Like the three or four, four first days, you're kind of like powering down from you know stressful work mode and then it's like oh my god i gotta go back to work in four days three days two days one day and so it was nice to have a longer break and not really be thinking about work but yeah i'm glad to be back glad to be reading up on the jets and uh back at work and kind of get everything cranking um back into a routine i guess I'm very jealous. Jealous of the two-week vacation. I don't think I've had one since uh, my honeymoon, which is now like four years right. ago. So uh, I've had some uh, some fun long weekends this summer, but not, nothing that extensive. And I'm, I'm just trying to get all that in before 
before all the chaos starts next week up in Florham Park, the Jets uh, just released their first episode of their sort of in-house version of Hard Knocks before training camp. One Jets drive, and I got a little fired up, you know, watching it. I mean, it's like basically like fan porn. Like, you know, you watch that, they make it seem like <laughs> they're unquestionably going to be the best team in the NFL. You know, felt the same way last year, of course. Whole new cast of characters this time around as the whole first episode was around Adam Gase creepily watching film in the dark like he was Bane and uh, and then Joe Douglas getting a nice introduction to his family. I know both you and I, I I've been skeptical about Gase. We were skeptical about the hire before it happened, when they were considering him. We were skeptical after it happened, I think. With anything that a team does people are going to, you know, come around to giving a chance on it. And, you know, look, I mm-hmm. I want the Jets to go 16-0, and and I want Adam Gase to win Coach of the Year and become the next Bill Belichick. I really do, and I, I hope he, he, they do that. And everyone digs up every tweet I ever had that doubted him and rubs it in my face. I won't care. I'll be enjoying a Jets Super Bowl, and I'll be very happy. Um, I'm not all the way there yet, obviously. It's, it's easy to see, like, why he has sort of this positive reputation within certain circles, you know, the football guy, the way he talks about the game, the way he seems to be wired like an absolute maniac, like most of the best coaches are. Um, But I still think this is an 8-8 and team, primarily because I'm not sold that Adam Gase is ready to bring them to 10-6 and or 11-5, and and also because I'm worried about their offensive line and secondary. With Gase, if someone asked you, why, what are the hesitancies with you around... You know, saying, you know mm-hmm. what, maybe the Jets got it right this time. I'm fully on board with this guy. Yeah, I think, you know, there there's a number of things. I certainly think the track record in Miami is cause for concern. I mean, did he do some good things in Miami? Sure. But, you know, it wasn't like when he went there, it was this sense of, Oh, they're going to turn Adam Gase loose. This is, you know, this is it. Tannehill's, you know, going to, you know, he'll he's going to leave leave Earth orbit, and and it's, you know, it's all all from here. And that is not what happened. And not only did that not happen, there was, you know, incidents with players and you know losing the locker room and and all that sort of thing. Uh, but when you right to your point of like on the positive side, um, he does seem to understand offense. He is going to bring a better up-tempo offense, offense to the Jets. So I'm pleased about that. But right, I, I think um, ultimately I just don't think – my big beef with him is I don't think he's done enough over the course of his career to get the, the sort of leeway and kind of free pass that he gets. And the reason he gets that free pass – it all goes back to his time with Peyton Manning, and I've said this before, I believe, on this podcast, which is that essentially he was a Madden heads-up screen for Peyton Manning. You know, he gave Manning three plays, Manning called the play, Manning audibled it at the line, um, and so I don't. I what I, that's where he saw his most and greatest success, and it's not been anywhere near successful since he's been decoupled from. Uh, you know, from from the greatest quarterback or one of the greatest quarterbacks of, you know, of his generation. So so with that in mind, um, I'm certainly a little hesitant. But right to your point, have they made efforts in changing this team? Yes. You know, they addressed the running back position with Le'Veon Bell. They're trying to give Darnold more weapons. But right. There are still fatal flaws about this team. And we can get into that. But, you know, the two glaring ones are the offensive line and the cornerbacks. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Offensive line sticks out to me more so even than the cornerbacks. I do feel like if you have a certain type of pass rush, you can get by the cornerback woes a little bit. Um, Offensive line, obviously a little more challenging. And I feel like that will be like an... One of the main focuses throughout training camp in the preseason, particularly once you get into those preseason games, um, mm-hmm. in that second and third one when the starters are going to play a little longer. How healthy does Brandon Shell look? Uh, does Kalecio Semele look like the guy he was a few years ago? Uh, is Jonathan Harrison actually a starting center? I feel like that, along with Darnold, of course, is going to dominate the training camp talk. I feel like with Darnold, I have a hard time seeing him not having a reportedly great summer. I mean, he's just too talented. Mm-hmm. It's seven on seven. The quarterbacks should and would look good there. He had a good camp last year and played well in the preseason last year. So I don't think there's any reason to expect him not to do that this year. And I think excitement about him will be the overriding story. But I think putting a magnifying on that offensive gla- line is not going to be far behind. Do you feel like there's another major transaction coming uh, mm. for this roster, or maybe a couple more sort of mid-level transactions, guys who could potentially start multiple games this year. Uh, I always... <laughs> 2017 is, like, the worst example of this. I remember, like, they signed, like, Will Ty, like, two days before week one, and he had, like, five catches in week one, and then he was cut after week three. I always, like... I'm always on the lookout, like, who are the random guys they could potentially add in the summer, and is there someone out there or a move to be made mm. uh, that a new, a G, a new GM is going to be particularly antsy to make? Yeah, I mean, well, I don't know if they'll be antsy to make, but I certainly think a new GM coming in doesn't want to, you know, get too far ahead. And, you know, that was certainly part of, you know, the the ultimate kind of issue with Mike McCagnin was they had a pretty successful first year and then they never really got back to that point. And, you know, when you start off strong and then you go downhill, you know, that that doesn't bode well long term. So I, I do think while they have twenty eight million dollars in cap space that they could I, I believe, I think it's roughly around there, that they could allocate, you know, are they willing to do that? Will Joe Douglas make another big move? Will he trade a pick or, you know, something like that or you know, to to acquire a player. And I don't know if you saw but Robert Mays uh, on um, the ringer had a had a number of players were kind of out there, you know, that probably will be available this summer. And so, you know, on the offensive line, he had Lael Collins from the Cowboys. Uh, I think, uh, I can't say his name, but Halu Ipavatai, uh, v, the V, they call him like V or whatever for the Eagles. Um, you know, he'd be available. And, you know, there's a couple guys that have been cut with injury designations like Brandon Fusco. He wasn't in the article. But then, like, you know, on cornerback, Byron Jones on the Cowboys, Marcus Peter and Aqib Tlaib, both with the Rams. I don't think Tlaib would reunite with Adam Gase. Um, but, uh, right, because they were together in Miami, weren't they? I can't remember. No, I don't think so. I think I'm insane. I think I'm insane. But, 
I think I'm thinking of who's the I'm thinking of Brent Grimes. That's who I'm yes. thinking of. Another another obnoxious cornerback uh, who played with the Dolphins. That's who I'm thinking of. So anyway, so like there are moves that they could make. I think realistically, I just don't know if Joe Douglas is going to want to make that move in his first year. I think he wants to build a base and, and work his way up. But right, if if I was them and I was lo- and I was looking to protect Darnold, I certainly would be talking to anyone who has a starting worthy offensive tackle or offensive lineman to see who you could plug in there. Um, you know, Kelvin Beecham is a player, uh, but I don't <laughs> like he's an extremely upgradable upgradable player. I think, you know, Chuma Doga, the the draft pick who they who they took in April is a player who could move into that spot. Um, but I don't know if he's ready to do that at the start of the season or even this season. Um, I think he'll be like the sixth, you know, offensive lineman. And if they need him at right or left tackle, they'll use him. But I think the idea is they're going to give um, Adoga a, a year before they would, uh, they would, if, if possible, before they would play that, play him. So, so yeah, I mean, I, those are the guys I would be looking at. I don't know. What do, what do you think, Joe? This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I'm very interested to see if a guy like Adoga could make that type of impression early in camp. I think that's tough for a rookie offensive lineman. I am curious, like, with a new regime. And one who's not, like, a first-round pick, exactly, right? Like, exactly. If you, if you don't have guy. that first-round, right, first-round or even early second-round pedigree, he was, what, a third-round pick? Yeah, third-round um, so, so, Yeah, so at that point... They clearly want him to succeed, but they're not. They don't want to ruin him, right? And it's also uh, and so, interesting yeah, to remember, like he was not drafted by this GM or scouting department. I'm not saying that doesn't mean a great he's point. not going to get a shot or be a good player, but this is not Joe Douglas's draft class. It's not Phil Savage's mm-hmm. draft draft class. Chad Alexander, all these other guys that they're bringing in, they didn't draft these guys. Now they might like them. That doesn't prohibit them from having success, but. I do wonder if because well, of no, now you go. I was just no. I was going to say like I think because of his tie to the Eagles, like that maybe makes Vitai a much more um, interesting player because D- Douglas obviously has the relationship with Roseman. If Roseman feels like he has an extra piece and he can move him, uh, you know, and he's going to get something worthwhile for him, uh, you know, Vitai might be a player that because of Douglas's relationship, I could certainly see that opportunity strengthening this is the overtime podcast network for a while we're going to be looking back and you know douglas's ties to the eagles and if there's people he's going to want to pick off that roster and i always just wonder when you have this sort of new regime you know in our head you know we sort of pencil in these guys to their specific roles but i would think things are going to be a little more fluid uh, than they normally are. So, you know, in our heads, it's like, yes, Brian Winters is definitely the starter, or Brian Poole is definitely the starter in the slot. Like, none right. of that is really, like, technically the case. Like, none of these guys were acquired by this coaching staff or acquired by uh, this mm-hmm. front office at this point. So, I, I don't know. Could a guy like Dakota Dozier or Tom Compton end up starting on the offensive line over Winters? Like, not exciting, but could that happen? <laughs> you know, are they truly wedded to if Tremaine Johnson is looking like he did last year like would they do something drastic and eat the massive amount of money and just cut him to send a message because mm-hmm. it's a new regime it just feels like 
there's a little more fluidity with things that could happen uh, because it's an entirely it's a new system on both sides of the football and it's a new group of guys evaluating them overall. So I do think we'll have one or two surprises from a depth chart perspective on who has a bigger role than expected, who has a smaller role than expected. And I also, again, wouldn't be surprised to see some of these 2018 draft picks in particular have a really short lease, uh, leash. Guys like Nathan Shepard, guys mm-hmm. like Perry Nickerson, players like that. I, I just, again, like it's hard to see a new regime not being a little more picky and selective on some of these older draft picks who haven't shown a lot. I mean... I'm trying like I'm trying to remember back to like other years when this had happened and if we saw something similar. I mean, how much kind of like turnover are you su- or surprises are you expecting on the depth chart this summer? Uh yeah, I mean I'm certainly expecting some and I think right it, it comes from the sense of like we don't know what Gase values or doesn't value yet. Um I think he obviously, you know, uh, let's say has a different valuation or um uh, what would you say, uh, method to to rate and value running backs? I mean, I think we've you know we've seen it with the stories of he wasn't all in on Le'Veon Bell. He wanted Tevin Coleman. Um, uh, you know the way he he kind of played out his scenario with Kenyon Drake and Kalen Balaj in Miami and letting Damian Williams go, who now, you know, basically steps into the Kareem Hunt role and is going to be basically a Kareem Hunt plus, I think, this year. I think it'll be better than, than Kareem Hunt was in that system. And so you say, well, why does he let that guy walk? And he's, you know, jonesing over Kenyon Drake and Kalen Balaj. What's that about? So I think that there are these things where we haven't really got a sense purely of what he values yet. yet. And I think one of the big things that... I don't really hear anybody talking about is Chris Herndon. Uh, I love Chris Herndon. I mean, he obviously didn't get to turn in all his, um, uh, you know, measurables kind of coming out of school due to injury. Uh, but you know, he surprised everyone last year. He was getting downfield field a ton, uh, did a great job as a rookie tight end. That is never an easy job to come in and be productive as a rookie tight end. I mean, think back to players the Jets have had in the past, like Jay Samaro and others, um, it just it just doesn't happen. Um, so I really like Herndon a lot. But when you see them, you know, draft a player like Wesco, who is a fullback tight end type. And, you know, they had, uh, you know, Gase was obviously very in on, um, was it Fells? I think he really wanted Fells on the roster. So, so like those to Gase me are signals loves of like. Fells more than any player in the NFL. No one knows why. Yeah, or how. and I don't get it, right? And so, so like that's my point is like, does he value Chris Herndon the way we all as fans value based on what we saw last year? I don't know. Um, and then, you know, you, you add in the fact that Herndon, and obviously has his uh, four game suspension. And so right, like just I, I would not be surprised if they bring in some other people at tight end at the at the position during during the summer. Um, and you know, certainly Herndon's not going to be available uh, you know in in the first couple games, but you know one of the guys I'm uh, you know I'm interested in is Daniel Brown, who <laughs> I hate to say it, but as a former James Madison uh, or a, for, uh, a James Madison alum, I'm interested in. He was he was you know pretty dominant at the college level. He's hung around in the league for for five years, kind of bouncing around. But he could be a player who jumps in and you know provides some value to the team while Herndon's out. Now, does he replace Herndon long term? I don't think so. Um, but I certainly think that like people just, you know, for fantasy folks, like if you're going out there and reaching for Chris Herndon, I, I certainly wouldn't recommend it, uh, especially with a four game 
uh, you know, ban at, at the beginning of the season. Uh, but so that, yeah, that's one player that I, I kind of am interested in. And then like wide receiver, you know, I think we obviously know Robbie Anderson, Jameson Crowder, Quincy Nunwa, they're kind of the top three, but you know, there's just this kind of mask behind them and no one's really distinguishable to me. Um, you know, but certainly I think, you know, they, they have some favorites, but again, right. Was, was Greg Dorch a Mike McCagnan move or was that an Adam Gase move? Like, I, I don't know where, where does he value him? I, I don't know. What, what do you think? I mean, Herndon getting suspended four games sucks. I was really yeah. I was anticipating two and four, four's tough. And like he is, he should theoretically be really a key component of that passing game in the middle of the field. And the Jets' first four games are really hard. Uh, you know, Buffalo at home was a reasonable opener, but then, you know, Cleveland, New England, Philly, New England, Philly on the road, nonetheless, those are not easy games. Jets are going to be an underdog in three of those four games and to not have Herndon and have to count on a guy like Brown, who's more of a journeyman, or Wesco, who's really drafted as a blocker. Uh, it hurts. And you could, yes, you could say you could slide a new one inside. I know he can do that, but that limits your receiver depth then because who's their fourth receiver right now? Is it, you know, it's Josh Bellamy or Deontay Burnett? Are you ready to play one of those guys 40, 50 snaps in a single game? I'm not, I'm not really sure. So that, that was definitely a blow, uh, to a guy who is, really probably Sam Darnold's most consistent week-in and week-out mm-hmm. receiver. I know Robbie Anderson finished really strong, and I think he has the high ceiling of any skill position guy, not named Le'Veon Bell. But Herndon, you know, right. was pretty consistent from week three or four on. 51 cat, yeah, at over 500 yards receiving as a rookie, uh, got in the end zone four times, you know, considering he really didn't start playing until like week three or week four. Uh, you know, really impressive output there. So that that one's definitely going to sting. I wouldn't be surprised if they made a veteran addition there. I know they were strongly considering bringing Austin Safarian Jenkins back. Then he ended up going to the Pats, and the Pats cut him. Maybe they kicked the tires on that again. Maybe they look around at some other veteran options that shake loose. I wouldn't be surprised if they added somebody there uh, to help soften the blow of Herndon missing four weeks. Something I wanted to ask and talk about, yeah. what do you think the media approach is going to be to this team throughout the year basically i i like how how much of a cushion is gase given how harsh Mm. is the media narrative if this team you know they have a hard start to the year they start two and four two and five maybe then they come on a little bit and finish around 500 i don't know but what is how patient is the press going to be how are they going to be compared to how they were the last couple years with mccagden and bowls what are you expecting narrative wise overall I mean, that's a great question. And I, like, I don't know if I've ever really thought long and hard about that as I go into a season. Maybe it's just, I've been kind of in it more and not thinking about it as much, but, but right. I, but it's a great question. I think as I think about this team and as I think about, you know, the ways the the media has treated teams in the past, I think the media is going to be more hopeful and, you know, forgiving um, but like, you know, I mean, this is New York media. And so um, if things happen, you know, if, if we have incidents, if we have flare ups, if we have fights, if we have, you know, words exchanged between coaches and players, like I certainly think they will be quick to jump on it. And I think, you know, part is it part of it is just because of who Gase is, who, you know, ha- how he came into this organization, how he has come into this organization so far, how quickly he has dismantled um, the front office um, I think the media will give him a little play, but I certainly think if there is, you know, 
bad blood or undercurrents, you know, between players and coaching or between front office and GM, I think the, the press will be quick to pick up on it and quick to, to publish it. Um, so, so from a team perspective, I think they, they like Darnold, they like, you know, Quinn and Williams and, you know, kind of the young guns, um, the safeties, you know, they, they love these players and they, they want to see them succeed. But at the same time, if there's going to be issues, it's going to be driven by, the relationship of the coaching staff with the rest of the team. And that will be kind of the, let's call it the wedge that kind of drives between, um, you know, fans and, and the team, uh, you know, by, by the media, if they, if they smell that blood, they're, they're going for it. Uh, is that how you perceive it or, or what? I just, I feel like they have less, they have less concern for kind of uh, giving Gase, you know, extra time or whatever. This is the overtime podcast network. Douglas is going to have a long grace period here, as he should. I mean, look, I mean, mm-hmm. he, he didn't. He has basically a pass for this entire year because it's not his roster. Um, really, next year is kind of like the de facto year one for him. So the Jets could go zero sixteen this year, and you're not going to hear anything about Joe Douglas's mm-hmm. job security, as you shouldn't. I think with Gase, true or not, and I do tend to think it is true, he pushed Mike McCagnan out and basically took over the organization as the most powerful guy in it for the bulk of this off season. He's coming off back-to-back losing seasons in the division. Usually second-time head coaches don't uh, fare that well, and they don't have a year off. Eric Mangini, Rex Ryan, Herm Edwards, all ironically Jets examples. Um, And I think the Jet. it's interesting. I, I tend to think the local media and the fan perception is that this roster is pretty good and should win nine or ten games and be competitive and they paid Le'Veon Bell and they paid C.J. Mosley and you know they got Quentin Williams who was the best player in the draft and Sam Darnold's going to make this leap and yet nationally when you look at how this team is perceived and ranked they're ranked as a bottom five or seven team most people I think will pick them to finish third in the AFC East so it's going to be interesting to see like where those expectations sort of net out because theoretically if the Jets go eight and eight they probably met or exceeded their national expectations, but they under-exceeded the local and fan expectations. So how does Christopher Johnson, or potentially Woody Johnson at that point, weigh that against Gase? I tend to feel like if Gase gets to 8, he's safe. Certainly if he gets to 9 or 10, he is safe and should be safe. I think the real mm-hmm. interesting borderline is like if he does what he did last year, where they were 7 and 6, they were in the hunt, quote-unquote, they lost their last three in very ugly fashion, so they finished seven and nine, but they were theoretically in the playoff race until week fourteen or fifteen. That's when I think it becomes interesting mm-hmm. on a borderline call. What do you do? I mean, in my mind, six or less, he's a hundred percent gone. Seven and I guess maybe eight is a bit of a toss up. I mean, how do you see that breaking down from a win loss perspective? No, I think you're right. I think eight and eight is going to be hard to come by, even despite their, you know, their their schedule. You know, just the way they the way things break out, the, who they get. Um, you know, wins are not going to be easy to come by, and so um, you know, a lot of it's going to come down to how much does Sam Darnold really progress. I mean, we saw him, you know, at the end of the season there, you know, with his games and kind of. Um, you know, what was it like, I guess against Buffalo and against Houston and Green Bay. I mean, he really was starting to kind of, you know, <laughs> like leave the atmosphere uh, in terms of some of his, you know, some of his play there. I think was looking the other day. Yeah. So he like his average yard, yard, yardage per attempt in the Green Bay game 
Um, 35 attempts was 11 yards, 11 point four yards per attempt, which is insane. Um, you know, that means he is, you know, pushing the ball downfield a ton. And you love to see that from, you know, a, a young quarterback be, being willing to be that aggressive and still completing, you know, well over 60% of his passes. So, so I think a lot of it comes down to Sam Darnold and how much of a leap can he make and right. Can Le'Veon Bell and some of the other pieces they put around him help. But right at the end of the day, while the de- they've bolstered the defense, they are still going to lose a lot against the passing game. And, you know, we haven't even really talked about Greg Williams yet and, you know, what he brings to this defense. But I, I'm a firm believer that uh, Greg Williams doesn't really understand how to manage his, his defensive backs, specifically his safeties. And so the question is, do Jamal Adams and Marcus May know enough and are – you know, let's say um, veteran enough players to basically ignore what Greg Williams tells them to do uh, and just do what they know they should do. Uh, and so, you know, but then, you know, what, what happens with that and how does that play out? Um, one other thing I just want to mention about like the press and, you know, what they report on, like I would charge anyone in the, in the New York jets kind of press community to do some actual research and reporting on who, the owner, de facto owner of this team is Chris Johnson. There is nothing on this person. There's very little out there um, other than basically his stance on kneeling and the fact that, you know, he took over for his brother, like Greg Bishop, who was at the times, you know, many years ago is, is long gone um, from this beat. Um, And, and I understand it's all about clicks and that sort of thing, but I would love to see someone, anyone do an in-depth piece on Chris Johnson. Cause I, I don't, can you tell me about Chris Johnson? Anything about him. And he is, you talk about Adam Gase and Adam Gase and Adam Gase. Like ultimately Chris Johnson is the one who's making all these calls. And so, so why do we know nothing about him? Why does the beat do nothing to report about him? I don't know. What do you think? It's, it's an interesting question. I, we're waiting for that really like long profile piece about who this guy is, what he's been doing the past like 20 years, like what he's interested in, how he you know, gets around the building, how he gets along with everybody. I mean, he's, Seems to be like just like a nice, affable guy who is interested in getting along with everyone. There's been generally flattering coverage of him. Uh, I don't. He doesn't have any background in football. I don't even know what his background really is in like business and organization management. Uh, so he's kind of a wild card. And I tend to believe that whenever Woody's done over in the UK, he's coming back to take control. I think Chris Johnson will stay with the team in some capacity. Uh, but I think it will be Woody Johnson's show when he, when he comes back, mm-hmm. uh, whenever that is. So I don't know, like, I would assume at some point we do get that sort of deep dive, closer look at who he is. And he's kind of, he's got himself in the press a few different times. You know, he, he spoke out against the, the anthem stuff and mm-hmm. he's been vocal right. with a few other interesting quotes. But it's an interesting thing. And if it, I, I just, I don't know if he's if it gets to next off season, if he's still going to be the guy calling the shots or how everything looks or yeah. I, I don't know. It is kind of an interesting, uh, I guess what, what I would say is I'll, I'll yeah, I'll, I'll call it and I'll just say like New York jets reporters. If you have not done an in-depth profile piece of who Chris Johnson is before October, like you're not doing your job period. End of story. Like, that's it. Do your job. That's, that's all I'm trying to say is like, I, I, 
I, I, I can't be the only one who's wondering about this person. Um, and I understand that Woody is still the power behind the throne, but, um, but ultimately right day to day, this is who's calling the shots and, and talk about kind of, yeah, giving people leeway, you know, in terms of the press, like the time has come, it's been long enough. He's been in this position long enough. We need to know more about this person. Is that hot enough for you? Sorry, Joe. <laughs> Uh-oh, are you there? Did I lose you? Wait, still here. Lost you there for a second. Left the mic on okay, mute. Sorry. So before we wrap here, because we've cracked Did you again. get all that? Do you want me to repeat any of that? I got it all. I got it all. We're good. You're hearing the, you're hearing okay, the podcast okay. Okay, through in real time here. Um, <laughs> so before we wrap, give me one mm-hmm. hot hot take for training camp prediction. Give me just give me one old fashioned clickbait. Give me the the one prediction for the Jets in mm. August. Um, man, that's a tough one. I, I think. I think here's here's a hot one. Okay, I, I was trying to think about this before. I think Ty Montgomery gets a bigger piece of this offense than anyone expects. Ooh. I think you know he his 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 yeah his work in Green Bay um, was excellent. Um, you know you look at some of the moves that the Jets have made around. Um, oh shoot, I'm going to forget their names, but the the international player that they brought on the um, the Australian rules player, um, you know Ty Ty Montgomery. I'm looking up his name. Sorry, um, that Valentine Holmes. Sorry, yes. Valentine Holmes. Uh, Jalen Moore is another player from App State that they brought in. Ty Montgomery, they want this, like, not a Tyreek Hill kind of player, but that that kind of, like, switch player between wide receiver and running back. They want to give that person a role. And now, while I certainly think Le'Veon Bell is going to soak up targets, I, I believe that they want someone like Ty Montgomery to take that hybrid role um, and run with it. And so maybe they only get five, 10 touches a game. Uh, but I think they're going to be those kind of big play kind of backbreaker type type plays. So I think Ty Montgomery uh, gets a big role in this offense bigger than anyone's expecting. I'm ready for the uh, article after like week three of the preseason where bell only gets like two carries for like one yard because it's the preseason and Montgomery has like a 60 yard touchdown and we get the should Ty Montgomery start <laughs> Headline from some ridiculous site or, yeah. or paper. Uh, it could happen. I actually did really like the Montgomery edition a lot, and I like the versatility and think he's a really logical backup for Bell and uh, could also actually maybe even help in the return game too. But it, good to have a player with mm-hmm. that type of offensive flexibility uh, in today's NFL. Brian Brassett, thank you for joining us. Good long chat. We're ready for training camp. It's it's basically it's go time. We made it. Um we're ready for seven-on-seven seven stats. We're ready for everybody to stay healthy. We're ready for the Hall of Fame game. Uh, Brian, as always, thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll talk as we get closer to the preseason. Awesome, Joe. Thanks so much for having me. Look forward to the season starting soon.